Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where women share personal stories of God's love. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy. And today we are bringing you one of our first stories from a live gathering in a year. (laughs) So excited to have those live gatherings back. Yes. And so today we have Katie from Auburn, Alabama, and we are going to do something a little bit different. As Katie shares her story, she touches on so many things from parenting special needs children to infidelity in marriage Mm -hmm. to having this ideal of perfectionism and a perfect family and a perfect Mm -hmm. plan for her life. And something that she said in the end during the question and answer time was so powerful that we really want to start there. We want to start with this question. And so we just want you to know as we start with it, that those are the things she's walked through in life. So the question to her was, how do you suffer well? What does it look like to walk through so many difficulties? And you're going to hear her answer. And we do feel like it really sets up her entire story. Everybody's case. Um, I think the biggest thing is to focus on God. I know when I was in that position, the first thing is a with the marriage side of it, the first thing people worry about is, okay, what can I change about myself? And I want to be more beautiful and I want the person to be, want to be around me more and I want them to like me more, whatever. And I think one thing I've learned is if we can focus on Jesus and becoming more like him, um, he will satisfy all those needs that might not be being met by somebody else. And he will transform us into a different person. And we don't necessarily need another person to complete us. And so that was really maybe focusing on myself and my relationship with Jesus and not trying to fix anything that I couldn't fix. Other people, we can't fix other people, even if we want to, we can only work on ourselves. You know, as Robin said, there are so many layers to Katie's story, but the one thing that she said there in that answer was fix your eyes on Jesus. You're going to hear her quote John 10, 10 in her story as well, that the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. And ladies, he's after our families. Mm -hmm. So let's take back our families. I hope Katie's story inspires you to do that. Here she is. I would love to start with a prayer, please. Father, thank you for every person and every circumstance, good and bad, that you have allowed to shape me and my story. I pray that my story only brings you glory and that every ear that hears it will be drawn to you, will want to know you and experience you more and allow you to become the author of their story. In Jesus' name, amen. I was born and raised in Auburn, Alabama. I'm the middle child of three with an older brother and a younger sister. I believe the first words my parents taught me after Mama and Dada were War Eagle. Now, to all my friends who don't share this allegiance, please don't tune me out now. I promise I love you too, but I need to clarify the brainwashing that occurs as a child born in Auburn, Alabama into a third-generation Auburn family. I had a wonderful childhood and a very loving family. We attended church and Sunday school most Sundays, and we were surrounded by a very supportive church family. I was saved at Panama City Beach in the summer of junior high school with my best friend at a Baptist youth camp. I wish I could say that I followed the Lord closely through high school and college and always made great decisions, but that would be far from the truth. I truly believed that acceptance and affirmation came from works. So I spent my time living a works-based life for school, activities, and church. God created me with a type A personality. I strived for perfection in everything that I did, sports, school, outside activities, everything. 
And for whatever reason, for most of my life, I was very successful in most everything that I did. I had been accepted to Auburn University, where I was on track to join generations of my other family members as an Auburn student. When it was time to prepare for cheerleading tryouts at the end of my freshman year, I was introduced to this tan, handsome, muscular guy on the floor of Beard Eves Memorial Coliseum, where he agreed to be my partner for cheerleading tryouts. Several weeks later, when my name was called at callouts, my dream had come true, and my life could not be better. I fell head over heels in love with that handsome cheerleader, and he was now a cheerleader with me. We dated for three years, were married after I graduated from Auburn, and we rode off into the orange and blue sunset as the perfect Auburn couple. Now, I tell you this background to my perfect story to let you know that I believed if I used the abilities and talents that God gave me, I could make things turn out the way I wanted them to. And so far in my life, for the most part, they had. Exactly when we planned it, we got pregnant with our first child, a beautiful, healthy baby girl born four years after we were married. As we were gearing up for her first perfect Christmas, she came down with a stomach virus. After several days, we noticed that she was not getting over the virus, and her skin began to look jaundice. Our doctor decided to admit her to the hospital, and her lab work showed that her liver levels were elevated. After no improvement, we found ourselves on our baby's first Christmas Eve in our car, driving to Children's Hospital in Birmingham. And for the first time in my life, I was in a position that no work, no talent, no ability, nothing in my power could make this situation okay. I was in a desperate place, sitting in the back seat of my car with my baby, crying out to the Lord for his help. This was the turning point in my life. Jeremiah 29:13 says, "You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart." This day marked the first day of our journey with a child with special needs. Our daughter had liver failure. She eventually recovered and came home, but her road would have many twists and turns as she got older. Her neurologist and geneticist began studying and performing labs to determine the origin of her medical challenges. I'll never forget the day I answered the phone, and this doctor was on the line letting us know that she had determined it was something genetic and that every child that we would have together had a 25% chance of having it. Our second daughter, Callie, had already been born by this time, but my mind began to wonder if the child that I was pregnant with, now as I held the phone, would beat those odds. Our third child, our son Bradley, was born early in the next year. Since we had three children less than four years apart, it was typical for us to throw them all in the bathtub at night for a quick three-for-one. I can still remember the house we lived in at the time and the bathtub that the kids were in when I noticed that nine-month-old Bradley's skin appeared to be jaundice. Now, it became very clear that Brett and I did not need to hit the casinos or become gamblers since two out of our three children had the genetic defect. We faced years of doctor's visits, of illnesses, of lab work, and other studies trying to figure out what our kids had. Now, if you passed our children on the street, it was not immediately evident that they had challenges. However, they were growing up with developmental delays, with difficulties with their balance, their strength, and their speech. 
Brittany Ann spent a considerable amount of time in the hospital as she was growing up, and the timing was not predictable. But if something put extra strain on her body, like a typical childhood illness, sometimes it would cause her liver to fail. There were no medicines to give her when this happened. She would receive an IV with glucose, monitor her liver levels, and wait for her body to turn the corner. Thankfully, through Bradley's childhood, he only had two stays in the hospital. When the kids were in elementary school, our geneticist decided to do a DNA study on all five members of our family to continue her research, trying to find the origin of their disease. Months after we had submitted our skin samples, she called and was like a kid in a candy shop. I think I found it. We have compared the DNA of the kids with a study on mice being done in Austria, and we have found the defective gene. It's the SCYL1 gene. I plan to get in contact with the researchers and compare notes and continue the research. While it was interesting to possibly have a gene to point to, as the cause of our challenges, this discovery did not change anything for our kids. All of a sudden, there was not a magic medicine that they could take to make them well. But we do hope that any research done might one day possibly help another family that's facing the same challenges. So far, there are only three known cases in the world, the other child from Cuba, with this genetic defect. So I jokingly told our daughter that I sure hope, I mean our doctor, not our daughter, that I sure hope that it gets named the Bayesden disease so we can at least like get a little credit for our mark in the medical industry. Hadn't happened, but maybe one day. Now reflect back on the life of that girl from Auburn who had it all together. And she was working hard to orchestrate her perfect life. Having two children with chronic medical challenges marked the first major imperfection in the world's eyes that God allowed in my life to actually give me the best life I could have ever hoped for. It may have been hard for us to understand at the time, but I believed in the truth of God's word about my children in Psalm 139, that he created their inmost being. He knit them together in my womb, and I praise him because they are fearfully and wonderfully made. His works are wonderful. I know that full well. God had not made any mistakes when he created my children. When they were younger, they were able to participate in activities along with their peers, like t-ball and dancing. But as they got older, the physical challenges to keep up were too much to continue in those type of activities. When they entered elementary school, we made the decision to enroll them in our local small private school, hoping that that environment would best suit their needs. In order for them to succeed at the accelerated pace of a school without accommodations, I spent a large amount of time after school and in the evenings helping them with homework and studying for tests. Now, we know my personality thrived off work-based achievement and approval, so it was natural for me to just assume my kids were the same. I wanted them to always do their best and be successful, hopefully receiving praise and accolades for their school performance. But looking back on our life, there are times I question if the sacrifice was worth the cost. If you peered into the window of our home at that time in our lives, you would see the kids go to school for seven hours, come home for a quick snack and some days an after-school activity. Then you would see us spread out at the kitchen table, flipping flashcards that I had prepared during the day as we studied for tests and did other homework until it was dinner time. And after dinner, there were many nights Brett and I would divide and conquer, and he would take one child to study with him, 
as I took another until it was time for baths and bed. We would wake up the next day and repeat the cycle. This season wasn't easy. On top of normal life, there were always doctor's appointments, speech therapy, and other challenges thrown into the mix. But Brett and I were surrounded by great friends. We enjoyed spending time with them at football games, at church, at other celebrations. But at this time in our life, we rarely spent much time together alone as a couple. And I always remember thinking, this is just a stage we're going through since our kids are young. It'll pass, and when they get older, we'll have more time to focus on each other. Brett faced the hardest trial of trial of his life when the kids were 9, 7, and 5, when his mother's cancer reappeared in the form of leukemia. Being in the medical field, he took it upon himself to research and do everything in his power to give her the best medical care that he could. He flew her to MD Anderson, where she would receive treatment for six months. But despite his best efforts and the efforts of medical professionals in Texas, Birmingham, and his hometown, the Lord called Sweet Ann, my children's nanny, home. Brett was raised in the church. And we were faithful members and attenders of our local church. But this tragedy cut him to the core, and he silently struggled with why God would allow this to happen to the most godly woman we knew at the young age of 64. Brett and I have been best friends since the day we met on the Coliseum floor. We love being together. We share common interests, and we enjoy going to sporting events together and traveling to the beach and to Disney World with our kids for vacations. Every once in a while, we love to take couple trips with our friends, and we were known as the couple who never fought. At that stage in our life, we had been married almost 14 years, and we may not have had more than one or two fights since we met. We were both non-confrontational people and agreed on pretty much everything. At this point, we had even built three houses together and not had a fight. We were just happy and living in survival mode, raising our three kids. So you can imagine my complete shock when I received a phone call one Sunday afternoon informing me that my husband had been unfaithful to me. Now, my faith had been tested raising two children with special needs, but nothing had ever rocked my world like this. And in the midst of my world spinning completely out of control, as awful as it was, I was grateful for my foundation of faith that I began to cling to with all of my might. When I didn't have words to pray, only tears to cry, my faith family was storming the gates of heaven for my marriage and my children. Brett and I eventually separated. I'll never forget the day we sat the children down to tell them that things would look a little different in our house. We lined them up on the couch, and Brett looked at them and said, There's something I need to tell you. And our sweet youngest interrupted and looked up at him and said, Disney World? (laughs) Now, we can laugh about that today, but we weren't headed to Disney World, and we were headed on an unknown journey with only questions and no answers. During this time, there was one decision that I made that was really hard but looking back may have been the best sacrifice that I've ever made. I did not want our children to be affected by our grown-up mistakes and decisions. So even though he was not sleeping in our house at night, I allowed Brett to come to the house every day after work to eat dinner with us and spend time with the kids until we put them to bed. So in their eyes, not much had changed in their world. 
even though in our world we were fighting for our family and our marriage. The other major decision that we made was that we would continue attending church as a family. We would go into a pew, and he would be on one end, and the three kids would be in the middle, and I would be on the other end. Our healing journey was not fast and lasted years with progress and setbacks and more than one extended time of separation. The reaction we heard from so many people upon hearing our news was that they are the perfect couple. We are from a fairly small town with a well-known family, and it was hard to escape the words spoken about us by others. I learned through this process how hard it is for people to have the grace to forgive someone who has wronged a person that they love. But I want to make it very, very clear. We both played a part in what happened in our marriage. I was living in a child-centered world, devoting all I had to my children, not necessarily by choice, but by circumstance. I did not have Brett in his rightful place in my life. You add that, along with the crack in Brett's heart, that Satan snuck in to do his work to attempt to destroy our family, and it was a recipe for the perfect storm. As we faced a very low point in our journey, a pivotal moment in our family's history was about to occur. Brett said, it's time for a change for our family. We need a fresh start where we worship. So that Sunday, we walked into the former furniture store, turned into Church of the Highlands for the first time. In previous years, two of the pastors had invited Brett to come visit their church, but at the time, we were comfortable where I had been a member my entire life. The timing could not have been more perfect for us to walk into a service where we did not know anyone. We were able to disappear and not feel the stares and whispers of people around us talking about our struggles. After that Sunday, we felt a tug of God's love, of His peace, and of His healing. And I'll never forget the second Sunday that we went, the worship team just happened to play a song that had been sung at our vow renewal that took place earlier in our healing. When we attended the first Wednesday service, they invited several leaders of the church on the stage where they prayed and desperately begged the Lord to heal the marriages of those in the room. We joined a small group and were immediately surrounded with people open to share their struggles. We didn't feel alone in the trials that we were healing from. God had us in an environment of non-judgmental love, acceptance, and hope, and our healing escalated. It was evident that we needed to prioritize our relationship and be very intentional in the time that we spent together. Our kids were just at the age that we thought we could leave them for a short period of time without a babysitter. So we started by leaving them at home to take a short walk in the neighborhood. We got home, and we realized they were okay, so we decided to sneak away and get ice cream. We got home, and they were okay, so we did it again the next night. We realized that we had arrived. We loved being together, and we desperately needed this time to ourselves. The next big step happened sometime in the next year as we continued to heal. I was still struggling with the amount of time it took to help the kids thrive in school. One day, the Lord dropped the thought of homeschooling in my mind. Now, I was not a teacher by degree, but I had been born into a family of educators. In first grade for Christmas, I asked for a chalkboard, a teacher's planning book, and a grade book, and I faithfully taught school in my bedroom for years. 
It was in my DNA, but when I went to college, I decided that I needed to get a degree in management information systems to make more money than I could as a teacher. So as Brett and I were talking one day, I asked him if he thought I should consider homeschooling two of our kids. He thought about it, and he looked at me, and he said, Can you imagine you could actually do school in the morning, be done by lunch, and by the time I got home from work, we could just all spend time enjoying each other and have a real life? We prayed about it and ultimately decided to try it the next year. As with anything like that, it came with challenges, but it became another step for us to take our family back and enjoy the days that we had together. I remember one dark day early in our healing where I was at home alone, just thinking about my life and where it was, a place that I never dreamed it would be. Now, I'm not a person who has ever like seen visions or audibly heard from the Lord, but he gave me this picture in my mind that day, and it was like I was watching a movie in a movie theater, and it was coming to the end of the movie right before the credits, and I saw Brett and me walking hand in hand toward the sunset. And after that vision, I trusted the Lord that that would be his plan for us. And I knew what John 10.10 had said, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Through lots of time, professional counseling, and prayer from us and our circle, God was healing our marriage It was at the Freedom Conference that we attended in Birmingham with our church that we took the final step and joined together again, and Brett moved home for the rest of our life together. Our homeschool journey lasted for five years. Our oldest, Brittany Ann, would be graduating as a homeschooler. Callie would graduate the next year from Lee Scott Academy, and Bradley was about to enter the high school years. I was growing a little weary from homeschooling both children, while still trying to be as involved as I could in Callie's life at the same time. Now, during Bradley's homeschooling years, he went to speech therapy two days a week at one of our local public elementary schools. Since he was four years old, he had a severe speech impediment where he struggled to have back-and-forth conversation with others. This was a byproduct of his medical challenges in his brain, but we tirelessly tried to help him progress in this area. One day in his IEP meeting, there was a teacher who had come from the high school to help with the meeting because he would be turning 16 that year, and the IEP required different details because of his age. Now, to this day, I cannot tell you what was said in that meeting, but before it was over, I pulled this high school special ed teacher aside and asked her if she would meet with Brett and me to talk about the possibility of sending him to Auburn High School. Our meeting led to Bradley enrolling in Auburn High School, where he was given the opportunity to be in classes with peers, to receive assistance in all of his classes with resource teachers, and begin to learn and practice areas of independence that he had never achieved. Now, it was very hard to drop him off at a high school that had over 600 students just in his class and wonder how he will be accepted or if he will be accepted. A dear friend spoke the words of Ephesians 3.20 over Bradley and our family one day. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, I was learning to open my hands and relinquish all control, to give him my family and our future, 
and let Him guide and make all the plans for us. I did not realize we were about to be in for the ride of our lives. While God had dropped the idea of Bradley going to AHS, I knew that I had to lean into and trust Him, and this proved to be the next immeasurably more in his life. His confidence began to soar as he was able to be a part of something bigger in school. During this time, Brittany Ann had begun to take college classes online at her own pace with my help as a tutor when needed. And after two years of online classes, she was ready to transfer to our local community college where she soared academically and independently. After four semesters of community college, she pursued her dream of attending Auburn University. She was accepted and began classes to work toward a degree in human development and family studies. As Bradley journeyed through his 10th and 11th grade years, we began to wonder what his next step could be after high school. We realized that attending college as a typical student would not be an option due to his cognitive challenges. We began looking at other post-secondary options at other schools. But let's be honest, there was no school that Bradley would ever want to attend but Auburn. The problem was, from what we had been told, Auburn did not have nor were working on any options for students with intellectual disabilities. So I decided to take the matter to the big man upstairs, and I prayed every day for an opportunity for Bradley at Auburn. God's Word says in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You can imagine my reaction when Brittany Ann and I were driving to the beach in the fall fall break during Bradley's senior year, and she said, Mom, have you seen this Facebook post about a new program Auburn University is having for students with disabilities called the Eagles Program? Y'all, I almost had to pull off the interstate from shock, and I was like, read the post, read the post. Within minutes of pulling into the beach, I was on my laptop emailing the contact person asking for a meeting the next week. To make a long story short, Bradley received an application five months later. He interviewed in April, and in May, just weeks before he graduated from Auburn High School, Bradley received his acceptance letter to the inaugural class at the Eagles program at Auburn University. Only God. More than we can ask or imagine. But that's not the end of the story. Bradley moved out of our home, something that we never dreamed would be a possibility, to a dorm at Auburn University and began his journey in the two-year program as an Eagle, which stands for Education to Accomplish Growth in Life Experiences for Success. It was one of the hardest days of my life, dropping him off at the dorm and wondering if he would be okay. He had never been able to speak up much for himself with his challenges, and I really just wanted to know that he would find food to eat and not get lost. (laughs) The first few weeks and months were challenging, especially since there was an extended acclimation period where the students were not to see their parents. But by the grace and hand of God on him, He survived and ultimately began to thrive. It was hard to let go. And I tell other parents, if taking the next step for your child doesn't cause you to feel like you're about to throw up, you're probably not taking the next step. So fast forward a few months, and my child is confidently living in the dorm, taking Auburn classes with assistance 
taking Eagles classes to learn independent living skills and job skills, and thriving. When we moved him out of the dorm at the end of his freshman year, we were celebrating the changes we saw in his life. As he and I were driving through town one day, I began to notice that he was rambling and talking nonstop beside me. I heard him saying, there's the movie theater. I see Zaxby's. I like to eat at McDonald's. Look at the mall. I did not know whose child this was sitting in my car, but it could not be my Bradley, who only tended to say one or two words, usually in response to a question requiring a yes or no answer. On this side of heaven, I will never know the answer to what happened to Bradley, but what I do know is I had worn holes in the carpet of Auburn's Church of the Highlands campus every 21 days of prayer, begging God to heal my children from head to toe, heal their brains, heal their speech, heal their, heal their liver, can't say it, heal their spleen, heal their hands, heal their feet. I believe God put Bradley in a position where he was living away from us for nine months, not having us next to him to help him finish every sentence that he tried to speak, where he had to learn to communicate the best he could. This fact, combined with God's healing touch, opened the floodgates to Bradley's speech apraxia and allowed him to communicate in a way like never before. Only God, exceedingly and abundantly, more than we could ask, dream, or imagine. But there's more. Bradley entered his second year of the Eagles program more confident and enthusiastic than the year before. Because of his love of music, he was invited to have his own radio show on the student radio station WEGL 91.1 at Auburn University. His show is called Eagle on Weagle, where he showcases his love for rock and roll with some 80s music sprinkled in the mix. He chooses his favorite songs every week, and is learning to load them into the computer where they are played during his show. He was continuing to soar at Auburn, and we were gearing up for a fun Thanksgiving in New York, watching our Tigers play basketball at the Legends Classic in Brooklyn. Bradley came down with a respiratory infection the week before our trip, but he was not running a fever anymore, and we thought he was beginning to feel better. The entire time in New York, his appetite wasn't quite what it usually was, but he didn't, and he didn't seem to feel great. But we had taken his wheelchair and just pushed him along throughout the trip. When we were in the airport the night before the Thanksgiving, getting ready to fly home, Brett looked at Bradley and then whispered to me that he thought his eyes looked a little yellow. After a few phone calls, we had arranged for him to go straight to our local hospital when we arrived home. After admitting him and seeing his liver levels, our local doctors decided he should be transported via ambulance to UAB on Thanksgiving Day. Now, in the back of our minds, we remembered the many times Brittany Ann had to be hospitalized growing up, and we just assumed Bradley would follow the same protocol, get fluids for a week or so, start to feel better, and we would rock and roll back to Auburn. After spending a week in the hospital and having to watch the Iron Bowl in his hospital room, the doctors told us that they did not want to release him to go home until he was registered on the liver transplant list. We said okay and began to go through the testing and education that's required in order to be listed. Now, in my planning mind, I was thinking, you know, next summer will be a great time for him to have the surgery if he needs it, and we'll work to schedule it if he still doesn't feel good. The reality of the severity of his condition truly hit when they explained to me that I would need to have my phone on 24 hours a day and be ready to answer the call and have Bradley back at UAB within four to six hours when they find a match for him. 
We finished the protocol and took him home, where I frantically began to prepare for Christmas with the thought in the back of my mind, what if they call tomorrow? Eight days later, and Bradley visibly becoming sicker each day, my phone rang. We were told that they had a potential match for Bradley, and we needed to head to Birmingham. We arrived in the emergency room, completed triage, and were signing for our copay to be admitted when my phone rang. The transplant coordinator was calling to say that they had needed that liver for another patient in another state, and Bradley would not be receiving it. We got in our car, and we headed back home. Now, to be honest, we were really relieved at this point because we were all a wreck. This was scary, unexpected, and we needed time to process what was really happening. So two days later, when I had accidentally silenced my phone, Brett got the call, and we were headed back to UAB, calmer and in a little better frame of mind. I'll never forget while we were driving on Highway 280, a car pulled in front of us, and the tag said, Ask Him. I was already praying, but I believe that was just a little God wink, telling us to just ask and trust in the one who was in control. We arrived once again, were triaged in the emergency room, and he was prepped for surgery and waiting in pre-op. We were told that the donor in this specific case would have to be taken off life support in order for his liver to be viable for Bradley. He would have to pass within 60 minutes. You can imagine our dismay when the doctors came into pre-op and let us know that the liver would not be able to be used for Bradley. The nurses unhooked his IV, and we gathered our family, and we were walking into the parking deck when I heard my phone ring. Where are you? They asked. We're in the parking deck getting ready to head back to Auburn. We'll turn around and come back inside. We just found out there's another donor possibility, and we think this may be the one. We walked back inside, waited several hours for a room, got him settled in bed as we began the long night ahead as they tested this liver to see if it would be a match for Bradley. I received a call at 2.30 in the morning that it was a match, and they believed surgery would happen in about nine hours. God had prepared us, and in His perfect timing, on the afternoon of December 19th, 2019, Bradley received the gift of life in a new liver. Our eternal gratitude went out that day to a family who gave selflessly out of their loss what would be our family's gain. I created a Caring Bridge page entitled Thumbs Up for Bradley since Bradley had always held his thumb up in every picture he was in since he was little. We prayed that we could all hold our thumbs up, pointing to the source of life and healing for him. And boy, did we receive love and support. I received a text from my dear friend Brandy Pearl that the Auburn coaches were wearing green ties and ribbons with a thumbs-up symbol during Auburn's game versus NC State that was taking place while Bradley was in surgery. I chronicled Bradley's journey of hospitalization, healing, and overwhelming support through extensive daily posts in Caring Bridge. This was really not my intent going into this trial, but it proved to be very therapeutic to me. And the love and encouragement that we received from the thousands of people who began to follow Bradley's story gave us new energy to press on when we were weary. I invite you all to read about God's faithfulness through Bradley's journey to a new liver on Caring Bridge. After living in Birmingham for six weeks, we headed back to Auburn to let Bradley heal. 
He was living at home, but I was able to take him to campus in a wheelchair where he attended a few of his classes as he got better. We had tried to be extremely careful and make sure he was not near anyone who was sick. So as I tell people, when the pandemic hit several weeks later and our world shut down, we had been quarantining before quarantining was cool. (laughs) So our family moved to Bradley's happy place on earth, our lake house, And even though there were very stressful times, as Brett navigated the decision-making of owning his own business and the pressure of making sure his staff was taken care of, the gift of our family getting to be together and the gift of Bradley having all of those months away from the public truly allowed him to heal in a beautiful way. Even though Bradley's graduation from the Eagles Basic Two-Year Program was postponed from May to August to December, we still celebrated what a major milestone it was for our family. And it turned out that Bradley, Brittany Ann, and Callie all would graduate together from Auburn University. Bradley from the Eagles Program, Brittany Ann with her bachelor's degree, and Callie with her master's degree. Can I say, only God, exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask, dream, or imagine. Bradley was invited to the newly formed Eagles Extended Program that allows students who could benefit from increased opportunities and decreased supports to attend Auburn for two more years. Due to COVID and his transplant, his doctor recommended that he not live on campus as he began his third year, but he was still able to attend classes and continue his work and his radio show via Zoom throughout the fall. He began attending classes back in person this spring and has the amazing opportunity to move to an apartment along with three other Eagles this fall as he begins his final year in the program. His radio show is still on the air every Monday at 3 p.m. Recently, Brett and I were approached about a donation opportunity with Auburn University Student Affairs. We had always wanted to give back to Weagle with gratitude for the opportunity that they had given Bradley to do something he loved. So just a few weekends ago, we were able to attend the naming and dedication of the Bradley-based and Weagle studio in the Auburn University Student Center, where we celebrated the new soundboard that was able to be purchased for the studio and the opportunities it is affording all the Weagle students while they are at Auburn and for when they graduate and work in the industry. Bradley was surprised when he was presented a framed letter from many of the original DJs who helped start Weagle 50 years ago. And thanks to a connection one of the DJs had with the manager of Bradley's favorite band, Kiss, he... I know, he got that from his dad. (laughs) He was dumbfounded when he was presented a gift basket of Kiss merchandise and autographed memorabilia. Go to my Facebook page to see the dedication ceremony that totally blew us away. You can't make this stuff up. Remember, this is the child who had no future in sight. Wanted to go to Auburn, but wasn't qualified. Loved music, and we didn't know what to do with him after high school. But God, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. 
In two months, Brett and I will celebrate 30 years of marriage. We are far from perfect, and so is our marriage. But with our eyes focused on Jesus and an army of friends and family supporting us, we press on with expectant eyes to see what the Lord has in store for our family next. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. What I have realized is that even in the disease, the disappointment, the unfaithfulness, the disability, God has exceedingly abundantly more planned for my story and for yours. And y'all, my life has been so much richer, rewarding, and hope-filled with all the imperfection than it ever would have been if it had continued on the perfect path planned in my power. What if we all accepted that His plans are greater? What if we realized that even when they take a sharp turn in a direction that we didn't plan for, His plans are for our good? What if we would let go and let Him control? It's a life of freedom, not always easy, a life of peace and a life of joy. I have a group of friends who have been telling me for years that I need to write a book. And as I get older and the stage of life with possibly time to do this, I really think I might. And the Lord has already told me what the title might be, My Perfectly Imperfect Life. Now, I don't know if you've heard the new song playing on the radio by Crowder, but the words of the chorus say this, Good God Almighty, I hope you'll find me praising your name no matter what comes, because I know where I'd be without your mercy, so I keep praising your name at the top of my lungs. That's the secret. Seek Him every day. Ask Him to show you the way, and even in the yuck and the hard and the unknown, praise Him. He created you with a purpose and the most intricate, amazing plan for a life just for you, every detail. And when you let His plan unfold for your life, then you will know His peace, His love, His joy, and His perfection. And that's my story. Katie and Robin started with one of the the powerful answers to the questions at the end. And I had the privilege of being in Auburn to hear Katie's story. And so we also wanted to give you um, her answer when someone asked, how did you forgive your husband when it was so hard for others not to forgive him? So here she is. It's hard and it doesn't come quickly. Um, You heard a 47 minute story um, that lasted 15 years. I think One thing I learned, one of the counselors we saw told me, Katie, you've got to realize you made a covenant with this person and God's going to give you the grace to forgive that person a lot easier than all these other people who didn't make a covenant with that person. And so I think you, it's really taught Brett and I so much. We look at other people so differently. I mean, I was the queen of the judgmental club of America. Um, and going through this, I think it really helps you view people in such a different light, light to know that anybody can have things happen in their life that they weren't planning to. I know Pastor Chris always says we're one step away from stupid. We're all one step away from stupid. 
And I think maybe it made it easier for other people as they saw me being willing to forgive, um, that they were willing to forgive. But also it just takes time. I mean, people have to earn forgiveness by how their life changes. And it took time. And, it, and I, it's probably still hard for some people. But only God, I mean, only God can give me the grace and for sure anybody else the grace to forgive anybody. And we were forgiven greatly. I mean, just because he might have done something that seemed really bad, I've done bad things too. You know, so thank God for his grace that he's willing to forgive all of us. I can really relate to so much in Katie's story about parenting a child that just requires extra. You know, the the exhaustion factor and the focus and the the running here and there and and doing extra things. We can sometimes joke that our kids that their their travel ball, quote unquote, is PT or is speech <laughs> or you know all yeah. these things that Katie talks about that that ran their life when they when her kids were young. I appreciated that she you know owned the fact that. With the infidelity, you know, she had responsibility too, Mm -hmm. because as moms, we tend to put our head down and and get so engrossed in our children's lives. Mm -hmm. And we forget that our husbands need respect and attention and, (laughs) you know, yeah, love. How about (laughs) that? But um, it is exactly what you said, Katie, that the enemy wants to come and steal. And the easiest place to steal is in our homes Mm -hmm. and in our families. Mm -hmm. And so just her realization of, you know, we needed to spend time Mm -hmm. together. And, Mm -hmm. And so that was such a takeaway of just continue to date your spouse. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, a strong family unit is powerful in the kingdom. Absolutely. And that's exactly, you know, where Satan wants to to start. One of the things that I really appreciated her being so real about is just how she struggled with perfectionism mm-hmm. and thinking that her plan was perfect. I love the title, the imperfectly perfect plan. <laughs> yes. Um, because I can I can relate to that. I mean, I know, you know, trying trying to make sure everything is the way you think it should be mm-hmm. when God's word tells us that his plans are exceedingly abundantly better than we could ever ask or imagine. She used that quote from Ephesians 3.20. And that's a quote, honestly, y'all, I have it on my mirror in my bathroom that I pray over my kids because I have plans for my kids that I think are the perfect plan. And he has better plans for them. So I have to have that verse on there to remind me of that. So I don't know who needs to hear that today. But but lean into the Lord and recognize that some of those twists and turns that you're having, those downs instead of ups in your marriage or in your kids' lives or your family – It's all part of his perfect plan. Well, and storytellers is all about not being perfect. Right. It's okay not to be okay. Isn't that refreshing? Yes. And it's okay (laughs) to say, you know what? I stink at that. I struggle with that. And because there is someone out there who is struggling in the exact same area. So Mm -hmm. it's okay not to be okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Listen, that is a lesson I'm learning Mm -hmm. day in and day out right now. It is okay to not be okay. So we hope y'all loved Katie's story. We hope that there are parts of it that that really spoke to you and that you could identify with. And thank you for listening today. I hope that you just got something out of Katie's story that God spoke directly to your heart. And we are so thankful that you subscribe and that you listen. Y'all, we love you, our listeners. We're, we're so thankful for you. And if you have not heard, we now have a new website, storytellerslive.org. And our favorite part is that you can now search stories by topic. So you email us and you text us and you message us about our stories and different topics that you love to hear. And 
And now you can go to our website in the search bar on the podcast page and you can type in anxiety and all of our stories on anxiety pop up. You can type in Katie and all of our stories from Katie's, <laughs> all our Katie's, <laughs> all our Katie's, all our Katie's pop up. And so we're thrilled. Go check it out. Let us know what you think. And thank you again for listening, for sharing our stories and for loving Storytellers Live. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.